It's everywhere. The plague. It's everywhere. This thing. This thing is like a tumor in the brain that needs and should be removed immediately. The everywhere. And I hear the Lord say yes! Spreading like a wildfire. God is telling me to tell you your story has changed. In every corner they speak lies. Miracle money into your account. By this week, go and check yes. your account. Lies that steal, kill, and destroy. Like the devil himself. They prophesy the delusions of their own minds, saying, Oh, I had a dream. And I found myself falling through the air, and I landed in this actual prison cell. I saw a vision. This was a vision, okay? Right. Like, like an angel just showed up right now. And in every way, the shepherds lead the flock astray with their reckless lives. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves, secretly introducing destructive heresies. So now tell me, how would you know if your pastor was leading you astray? How would you know if you're being fed another gospel, other than the true gospel of Jesus Christ? What if I told you that most of what you've been hearing from your pastor in the pulpit or the mainstream media was a false gospel? Sure, scriptures are quoted from the Bible, the sermons, they sound right. However, what you're being taught is a bit of scripture, plus a lot more of unbiblical teachings that are very subtle to the biblically literate. So what really is the prosperity gospel? Well, it is the belief that God's purpose in the life of every believer is to make them healthy and wealthy. Some call it the name it and claim it, or the beloved and grab it gospel. Others call it the health and wealth gospel. Whatever you call it, the message is the same. God wants you rich in every aspect of your life, especially financially and health-wise. These two go hand in hand, for they argue you cannot enjoy the blessings of God in your life if you're not healthy now, can you? So Rezor, what's wrong with this belief? You might ask, doesn't God want to make me rich? Well, we can talk about the problem with this belief before first looking at the theology behind it. So firstly, they believe that the atonement of Jesus Christ extends to the sin of material poverty. In other words, God put our sin, our sickness and diseases, our sorrows and grief and poverty on Jesus Christ at the cross. They derive this from verses like 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. He became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And by his wounds we healed. Isaiah 53 5. So the error in this view is that a contextual reading of this verse is communicated totally different things. It talks about the believers emptying themselves of their riches in service of their Savior through the grace of Jesus Christ. These two verses talk about our salvation and spiritual health. But even if this verse is addressed our physical health and wealth, why are so many Christians living in poverty? Why do some prosperity preachers suffer from cancer? Why is childbearing still extremely painful? even for the believers. In Matthew 8.20, we see that Jesus himself wasn't rich. He didn't live in a mansion, nor did he wear designer outfits. The second thing they believe is that they're heirs to the Abrahamic covenant. They believe that every believer is entitled to all that God promised Abraham because they are his spiritual children, which means that they are heirs to Abraham's blessing of faith, which also include health and wealth according to Galatians 3.14 But the problem with this view is that the verse, when read in context, is talking about justice and salvation through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third thing they believe is that when Christians give, they give in order to attain material compensation from God. They believe in the law of compensation, which means giving generously, then God is going to give back more in return, like sevenfold up to a hundredfold. It's time to give! I didn't hear you. It is time to give! 
it is time to be blessed i want you to release what is in your hands so that god can release what is in his hands this belief is derived from mark 10:29 to 30 there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Now there's nothing wrong with giving in and of itself, but this view encourages giving with the wrong motive. Furthermore, rogue preachers twist this verse and coax the congregation into giving even more than they're able to, supposedly to finance the gospel to the world. As you saw your seat, the heavens will the heavens will shake, shake. God will say, What just happened? And the angel will say, So what someone just saw the seed? And God will say, Go and give him testimony. Angel, what are you waiting for? Go right now. That is what's about to happen. However, giving should come from the heart and it should be done cheerfully. You should never be coaxed into doing it. And when you lend, expect nothing in return. That way, your reward will be great. So the fourth thing they believe is that prayer and fasting are tools to force God to grant prosperity. This belief is drawn from James 4.2. You do not have because you do not ask God. The error in this is that prayer here is made man-centered. It's all about man. All the focus is on man's desires. It's all about what we want and what God can give us. You see, it tries to manipulate God and impose man's will on God. But according to Matthew 6, 9-13, Jesus taught us how we should pray instead. Prayer is submitting to God's will. It's about asking for God's will to be done and not the other way around. The fifth thing they believe is that faith is a self-generated force that leads to prosperity. They believe that faith is a spiritual energy or force or power that forces God's hand. So long as you have faith, God will do whatever you want. They view faith as the key to material gain. President of a country, each country, if they are not tired of counting money, I myself, I am still looking for money. I'm looking for money. So I am going to start from this partnership. So that in order for me to now to receive more and more, for me to grow higher in Jesus' name. The faith is a gift from God. Faith is trusting in God and not yourself and your own faith. So now that you're aware of some of the popular beliefs that the prosperity preachers uphold, you should gracefully call them out on these things. But before you do, you should know this. You will hear them quote this to you. Touch not the Lord's anointed. Do my prophets no harm. My brother, my sister, be careful if you raise your voice against the man of God. Even if that man of God is wicked, sickness will come on you. Or do not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Nobody touches that. Yeah, that's right. The aggressive and manipulative tactic that works every time. Because the believers don't fully understand the meaning of these verses. These verses are the most misused and have been twisted by these false preachers to manipulate the congregation and gain immunity from being questioned. So usually when these verses are quoted, they mean that you shouldn't challenge anything coming from the mouth of the man of God or the woman of God. And it effectively silences anyone who doesn't know or understand what these verses actually mean. Now questioning what you're hearing is not bad at all. In fact, the Bible encourages us to do so according to 1 John 4. I mean, even the Bereans were commended for this. In Acts 17.11. This is what these verses actually mean. When God spoke of his anointed ones and his prophets, he was referring to his people, that is the Israelites, the ones he had made a covenant with. He was in no way specifying a single minister or a Christian, but he meant everyone and not just a small group of special Christians. He was protecting each and every person who is called by his name, who are those who believe and follow him. So if you're born again, you're anointed of God. You see, you and I are important to God just as much as these ministers are. Touch not my anointed ones is for every single believer.
Also, touching out my anointed ones means laying hands upon someone or, or causing them harm physically. We even see it through David, who refused to kill the king, but he did not hesitate to speak the truth about Saul. Touching out my anointed ones doesn't mean we can't speak the truth, but it means we just can't harm them physically, you know? But it's a warning for God's people and the enemies of Israel. Another verse they often quote is, do not judge or judge not. But the Bible does command us to judge by the standards of the word. That's how we're supposed to judge. If we receive teaching that does not conform to the word of God, it's our responsibility to question it. Questioning wrong teaching and manipulating or controlling leadership does not constitute harming the Lord's anointed. We are commanded to do so. Besides, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Luke 6, 42, John 8, 7. I'll talk about hypocritical judgment. And it's so tragic that many are deceived without realizing the impact of the ramifications of this false gospel. For one, it promotes idolatry, and in three ways. One, it encourages worship of the preachers. They're put on a pedestal, and everything they say is like God himself speaking. The second way idolatry is promoted by this false gospel is the preachers are made the ultimate authority in the church. God is our ultimate authority, but here the preachers have the final say on everything, including our personal lives. And the third way is this. It promotes the worship of self or self-centeredness. All the focus is on man here. It makes us demand things from God as if he owes us. It's all about me. It's all about God existing to serve me. It's all about God existing to serve man. I mean, if the prosperity gospel is true, then God is irrelevant. So another danger of the prosperity gospel is that it promotes pride. They say that man is a little God. And since we're created in the image of God, whatever God can do, man can also do. But the truth is, we don't have the ability to bless ourselves. If we did, we wouldn't need God. Another danger of this false gospel is that it gives false hope. They quote the promises of God made directly to Israel as a nation and act like it's God's promises to individual believers, creating a false expectations in the minds of believers that it's always God's will to give them prosperity, which leads to disappointment with God. When the believer has prayed and fasted and spoken in tongues, Decreed and declared. I decree and I declare that the favor of God. But hasn't seen the results, they rage at God, which ultimately leads to shattered faith, thinking you don't have enough faith to get answered prayers from God. And usually, unanswered prayers are faulted on not having enough faith. Have you ever wondered why God allowed someone to die because they were fasting to get their prayers answered? And shattered faith in turn leads to unbelief in God. I mean, why should you worship a God who doesn't keep his promises? With manipulation being the number one tactic used by these false preachers, here are some other ways they prey on the unsuspecting congregation. Smooth words, flattering speech. It's all good. God loves you so much. I'm just proclaiming the love of the Lord for you. He loves everybody. He affirms everybody. Bless you. God's going to bless your business. God's going to bless your kids. God's going to bless your health. God's going to bless my false doctrine. They're mixing a little bit of truth and a little bit of false teaching so that most people can't really figure out the difference because a lot of Christians aren't spiritually discerning enough to be able to discern between truth and error. Another sign of a false preacher when he just teaches certain things of scripture. Just the good things that people want to hear. If you always only just preach prosperity, healing and blessing, give motivational messages but he does not preach that you have to live holy righteous before god they'll twist scripture to make it say something completely different to what it actually means just so that the sermon seems a little bit more tasty 
They'll say things like, nah, God doesn't have wrath. God doesn't get angry. They might say, God only wants you to be wealthy. They'll feed you what you want to hear. They'll do the twisting of scriptures so that you feel indebted to them. And when they're asking you for what it is that they want, you don't feel like you can say no. And many in the congregation are deceived and planted every day by these worlds because... Number one, because of biblical and theological illiteracy. Many people who profess to be Christians never read the Bible. They don't have a firm grounding of scriptures. We don't know the Bible. If we don't know doctrine, if we don't know theology, it is virtually impossible for us to identify false prophets. The second reason you're deceived is because of greed and lust. Can you just be honest with yourself? Could it be that maybe, just maybe, it's because of this reason that you have surrounded yourself with these prosperity preachers? But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And the third reason many are deceived is because of desperation. People are desperate for solutions, so they just buy into this prosperity gospel. If you say to someone, follow me and God will give you what you want. If that person doesn't think they have any other options, then what option do you think they're going to take? And this is the sad truth about the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. And the more tragic thing is that many who profess to be Christians, when you ask them what the gospel is, they will give you the definition of the prosperity gospel. And not to mention, many of these people have been Christians for more than a decade. But all this begs the question, what really is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. But to understand what that actually means, I have to tell you the bad news first. The bad news is that we have sinned against a holy and just God. Therefore, he gave us the death penalty as our punishment. For the wages of sin is death. The good news is that he is also a gracious and loving God. Therefore, to save us from his wrath, he took our punishment and put it on his sinless son, Jesus Christ. And his wrath was brought upon him at the cross instead of us so that we could be reconciled with God. The gospel is salvation unto man through faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is repentance unto salvation. In fact, this was the focal point of Jesus' ministry while he was here on earth. The gospel is God's grace towards sinful man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The gospel is so simple that even a child can understand. False preachers are going to stick around and the only way to avoid being deceived is to study your Bible.